All right. Welcome to another episode of Autodesk's Digital Builder Podcast. We are coming to you live on LinkedIn today to discuss all things subcontractor trends in 2023. I am so excited today to be here digging in on all things construction technology with a couple of friends from mine this week. Today, we are sitting pretty. It's snowing a little bit here in Oregon, and everything's going great. But without further ado, I'd love to introduce our speakers today. So I am joined by my friends Matthew Cordova, the Director of Construction Technology at Hermanson Company, and Matt Lamb, the Chief Information Officer at Rosenden Electric. So we've got a couple great guests today to talk about all things subs. How are you guys doing today? Awesome. Great. All right. Happy to be here. The answer was supposed to be, this is the greatest honor, and I have been waiting to be on Digital Builder. I could sense the frustration when we had to delay a couple of weeks. I felt equally upset, but I'm going to put my friend Matt Cordova on the hot seat first. What are your favorite trends going on right now in the world of subcontractors and specialty contractors? What are you excited about? So um, a, a few different things, right? Transitioning from paper PDFs to a true digital workflow, communicating with our field and shops through that same type of environment, and also leveraging that CDE, the common data environment, right? Where everybody's kind of pointed to a single location to get things done, whether it's fabrication or to build a building, making it ease of access and things like that, and teaching and training. That's part of it. It's a trend. It's one that'll never end. Yeah. And and I'm encouraged about that training trend too, because as the scale of the tools that we're deploying on site starts to, you know, increase and change, making sure everybody is best enabled to be a real rock star in that realm, it makes a bunch of sense. So Mr. Lamb, how are you feeling and what are you excited about right now in the world of some contractor trends? I'm doing great. And again, really honored to be here. So thank you for having me, Eric. The subcontractor trends, you know, I think one of the hot ones right now is job site connectivity. As we rely on a more digital world, a more connected environment, as we get out to remote job sites or even urban environments where you're below grade or in a very dense concrete structure, connectivity can be a challenge. So you know, we're looking at different ways to handle that and new avenues to approach getting connectivity and high speed connectivity onto the job sites. Yeah, AI, chat GPT are all the buzz right now. Definitely excited to see where that goes. And with all this, I think one of the other things we need to be mindful of as far as trends go is ensuring that when we adopt new technology, we're not adding more work or more burden to the field, the people who are out there putting in the work and you know really driving the ship forward. It's so true too, because it's something I refer to as, you know, shiny new toy syndrome as far as, hey, here's all these cool new technologies. And it's good to be enthusiastic about finding ways to make it better for your teams and the output and everything. But your your point there is spot on on. You still have to be thinking about the people out there using that technology first, because if you don't empower them in the right way and you train them and give them logical and thoughtful applications of the tech, it's a bit of a challenge for them to actually be effective, especially with the amount of work that they're expected to do every day while learning new things. So I I appreciate the focus there. And let's jump into our our first big question here today. And I'm going to kick this over to Mr. Cordova. Let's talk trends and technology and, and people out working in the shop, which I know is something you're passionate about. How far along are your teams right now in adopting a more digital approach and truly eliminating paper, eliminating paper out in the, in, in the shop? 
Yeah, so that's, that's a great one. That's something that we've been focused on for a couple of years now. And it's kind of a three-headed monster for us, right? Because we do sheet metal, plumbing, and piping. Each trade is specific. They have their own sort of fabrication styles. So as of today, we're, we're about like 90% there to where our VDC team, we're drawing, we're coordinating, we're using those 3D models, and then we publish those 3D models. And instead of creating a PDF, which to me is nothing but a timestamp, something that you can knock out. There's lots of beautiful softwares out there that can auto-generate tons of PDFs at one time, but you're not getting true live. At least over here, we live in like organized chaos. So we can sign off a floor, we could get these things done, but if we're not current with what we're showing or what we're telling the shop to fabricate, then mistakes can happen. So we made a huge push. And not only that, you got the whole net zero aspect of this thing. And that's a real, that's a real thing that we take a lot of heart in. So like right now, we were about 90% there and we took like different approaches. So for our fitters, sit down with those guys, set them up with full computers, dual screen monitors. We give them access to 3D models. We do all the dimensioning, BOMs, it communicates with our equipment, but they do it live. And so when we're able to do that, the mistakes are less. Now on our sheet metal side, that wasn't going to happen just because of space constraints. And we got to take that into effect as well. So started beta testing some iPad Pros and things like that to see if that's a real thing where we can hand out these iPads and have them access the same software to do their spooling and assemblies and whatever they need to prefabricate before it gets out into the field. So we're there, we're live, we're doing that. Our plumbers as well, they're using machines, desktop computers. It's a really fun experience. We're there for the most part, PDF in the shop. I like hearing that. And the point you made about ensuring that the different teams you're working with directly are getting a bit of a different approach to, to meet their workflow, that's an incredibly powerful point, I think, because it's easy to kind of blank and apply this to all of your different orgs. But that's also a, a big risk as far as having hesitation towards adoption, because somebody goes, you didn't think through my workflow, which is different than the workflow from the out, like the, the pipe fitting team or anything along those lines. And so you're setting everybody up for success, even if it takes more effort and thought up front to really dial that in. But we should be spending that effort because the ROI is, I think, tremendous when you know people start getting into these different tools and technologies. And also that, that adaption, that listening, they're going to be more open to adopting that type of technology if you take that approach. And it's not like our shops. We have multiple shops. Not everyone's built the same. We didn't have the space to set up five machines. If we have five or six people doing assemblies at once, we didn't have the space. So at least for the dry side, it made sense. So, hey, will this iPad Pro, those things are sweet too. They're super powerful. Will this work? And uh, so far, so good, getting a lot of positive reviews. It makes a sense. And, and when you bring your team along for the ride like that, it does add a lot of value to how excited they are about that technology. And it's not necessarily a fully democratic scenario you're setting up where everybody has a, a full voice in the final decision on what tool you adopt. But when people feel heard, 
one, you get more information about the choices you're making, but two, they're going to be way less resistant to making changes because you've actually had a conversation. It's not just a one-way, one-sided street. Matt Lamb, I'm curious, how's that shaping up for your teams as far as eliminating paper out on the project sites? Yeah, it's an ongoing journey. We've been an early adopter of digital drawings and the various platforms for many years, and we were able to really eliminate paper early on and get get iPads fully deployed. I think in the last eight to 10 years, iPad adoption has gone almost 100% to the field at a certain level and above, and then then obviously a number of people on, on use cases below. And that was the first piece of it. It was just 2D drawings, the PDF. But again, as you know, Matt said, it's a timestamp. It's not live data. So we've done a lot of efforts in the 3D modeling and BIM to integrate those workflows into the project workflows, into the shop with digital spooling and things like that, so that we're eliminating the time constraints, we're eliminating the process bottlenecks and having a streamlined performance you know, workflow to the shop, to the field, to the various aspects. And you know, no different than mass different shops, our job sites are very different between renewables, commercial, hospitality, all those different types of things have different workflows. We've been able to incorporate that in the different workflows that we've built out for the project teams. It makes a bunch of sense. And, and the one point that you both kind of honed in on, and, and it's one I appreciate, is the PDF being a timestamp and not something that's truly collaborative. And that's something I've heard from a lot of different companies when they're just starting their digital journey, where they go, well, we're digital. We have our PDFs. We put them in this online storage tool and everybody can access them. And that's step one. That's most certainly better than a million plans being printed out every other day, but that that nuance of finding those purpose-built tools to really empower your team with something that's made for them is an entirely game-changing scenario. And I lived it when I worked at GCs more on the proposal side. There was nothing made for me to do the work I needed to do. So we were shoving it into Word. We were shoving it in an Excel. It was on a shared drive with 75 misnamed files. And then deadline Dave comes home and you cry quietly at your desk and push the submit button. And it's it's very encouraging to see our industry being empowered with tools that really set them up for success in a way they never were before. But the next question I got, I want to send over to Lam. And it was something you mentioned when we started as far as being excited about tools and technology. So what role does AI or tools that we're seeing trend in the news like chat and GPT have in construction, especially for subcontractors? Well, I think if we separate AI and chat GPT for the sake of the question, I'll address both. Pure AI or machine learning even as a starting point has a great place in all of our organizations because we have more data than I think we all realize. And data is king. If you look at Google and Facebook and all those types of companies, they are data companies and that's where they're making most of their revenue. So how can we do that either to make more revenue or to empower ourselves to be better builders? So I think we can start using these new tools, these new algorithms to mine everything we have and learn from it. A lot of construction has been intrinsic knowledge, right? You've had the project manager, the superintendent, the executive who's been in the business for 40 years, been at the company for just as long, and it's all in their head. So how can we start getting that out of their heads and using the data to tell a story? So if we start looking at in these states, in these areas, these market sectors, how do I perform? And if I compare similar things across the board, I can see which team performs better or more efficiently and how do we learn from that? I and mean, that's just one example of it, that we can all take and scrub everything we have. And the idea behind it is you know, just becoming leaner, more efficient and driving the ship forward. 
things like ChatGPT, yeah, they're still new tools, right? They're toys even. I wouldn't even call them a tool just yet. It's great. Everyone's having fun playing around with it. I'm still a little leery on the accuracy of the data. I'm still a little leery of some of the malicious stuff that goes on with it. You know, just putting my cybersecurity hat on. I'm not saying it's completely unsafe, but I, I, I definitely think it's something we need to be mindful of. I've been hearing some companies that are using it to put things like, you know, daily toolbox tops, talks together, rough drafts for safety plans. At least it gets you the, the basic outline for these things that you'd sit down and spend an hour doing. And now we can spit it out in five minutes. You can spend 20 minutes editing it, revising it, maybe fact checking it still for the time being, and you know, then putting it into play. So maybe you save 30 minutes and 30 minutes in an eight hour day when you're a small company trying to run a crew or even just a job site trying to run a big crew, 30 minutes is, is a lot of time. Yeah. And you made two points in there that I, I really want to highlight because I think they're super important is one, the security with ChatGPT is, is definitely worth considering, but just broader security with all the different tools and technologies should be top of mind for anybody who's enabling their organization with these different technologies. And I, I want to have an episode about this soon, actually, because it's, it's an important one. And it's, I think, a new aspect of technology that a lot of contractors might not have thought about at the depth that is is necessary for you know what's coming next but the the point about saving time i think is huge too and there's always been hesitation in the industry to things like ai and machine learning and everything but i think that's misfounded in the current state of our industry we just fall back into the labor shortage conversation and finding ways to augment and save time within the resources that we have to do. And I just want to remind everybody, like machine learning, AI, all of these things, they're not here to take your job. They're here to augment what you can do and empower you to focus on things that humans do really well and do things at scale that people can't do at scale. I think my favorite example was from a safety person that I spoke to who said, I can't look at 10,000 photos to check for safety incidents, but machine learning can do this in a way that flags more incidents than I can see myself. So it's it's a wonderful augmentation, but it's most certainly not a replacement. And caution should be exercised with new stuff like ChatGPT, but I don't think it's the scary thing that everybody's kind of worried about. <laughs> there's there's a lot of good that's coming out of tech these days. I'm, I'm encouraged. Yeah. I mean, the military calls out a force multiplier. So you have what you have for labor and you may only be able to scale up so much, but if you can put tools in place, you can make them more powerful. Bingo. It's it's more, how do we make you more efficient in how you execute and everything? We've all worked those long 10-hour days and it's 10 or 12. I mean, I'm being generous right now. And so it's good to find ways where we can fill those gaps, but also just let people go home at 5.30 instead of 9. You know, it means a lot for our industry and especially for attracting more talent. It's hard to broadcast. We work long, hard hours without finding solutions to, to fixing that. But I want to roll into the next topic. And this is something uh, Cordova was excited about at the beginning of our conversation. Can you tell me more about the role that 3D models play within workflows within subcontractors and how your teams are incorporating them today? Yeah, definitely. So I kind of touched on it in the first topic. We spend millions of dollars drawing, coordinating, working directly with architects, engineers to get a design done. So, I mean, just from the start, just at a design level, we do a bunch of stuff like called integrated design, where our tradesmen are also in these, these central models, working directly with engineers, architects, and getting through that system. Then you go 
Once the design is complete, go into MEP coordination and everything that you bid on, you estimated on, now it's time to go into fabrication. So our fabrication derives directly from the 3D models as well. We're not generating reports out of Revit. We're using the live model to pull BOMs based off of what you can see, based off of packages. We have our field teams working directly with our BDC teams, looking at these models in that common data environment that I'm talking about and coming up with a plan, a schedule. You need this set of parts delivered on this day. That dashboard that we have has a hyperlink directly to the 3D models. Those 3D models, instantly you can look at it, tell what assemblies are getting put together, what numbers are getting put together, for the field. In that same package, you generate all your cut files, your machining files, whatever it may be, it's all driven from that 3D model environment. Now, once you're into fabrication, like I said, our shops are, are all set up. I touched on that earlier. We're not looking at a PDF even anymore. We're looking at our VDC putting together the spools, communicating with the field teams, and then now the shop's referencing those spools in that same environment. So now VDC is pointed here, the shop is pointed here, and the field is all pointed to the same location. And they're getting it built, getting all their BOMs, everything that they need to order directly from that 3D model. Now we're into FAP. We're, we're also tracking cards, job sites, everything through that same system. Now it's in the field. Now the field gets a truck delivered that says package name, blah, blah, blah. They're tracking, they're the ones putting in those delivery dates tied to the 3D model as well. So now they can open up, see what's going to be going into the cart and what they're supposed to be putting up in the air. What was pre-assembled, prefab by the shop. I've had guys that literally open up just their package viewer, 3D isometric, take a screenshot, send it to an inkjet printer and hand it to their guys. Hey, this is what you're putting up to reference with what you know like shop prints and things like that so now it's even more right we're exploring some technologies that i can't believe how integrated everything is from our revit model directly to a web browser generate an issue in the web browser have that sucked into your revit model open up can i say technology like navisworks for example open that same model up create issues in there it all connects, it all ties together. So now we're opening up easy communication lines where we used to pick up the phone and say, hey, on level three, can you check out this print? Give me a, a chance here. Now our field teams can go in, same with our VDC teams and communicate directly with either the print or the live model because you need to tie it to geometry for this system to work. It's really cool. It's available across all aspects and super powerful, but so much money goes into modeling and all of our fabrication parts and pieces come from models. Now it's, it's kind of crazy how it's all leveraged across streams now where it used to just live in BDC land and then you track on paper. It's no longer like that. The field is tied into the 3D model almost as much as your BDC team. I don't even know where to start because I'm so excited by everything that you just shared. You know, I, I feel like your team is, is setting up like remember when when bim first started becoming a thing and the promised land was very similar to what you're communicating right now and then it it didn't really feel that way when we were starting to actually get in the mix with all the different teams 
as all of these technologies start to become more integrated, as you're alluding to, regardless of what platforms you're centered on, to be able to have that real-time conversation without having to export things and disconnect things and manually move data is such a win for so many different reasons, whether it's rework, whether it's making sure people are aware and informed, whether it's documentation and keeping your owners excited about the progress that they're on and they can visually see where you're at. There's so many nuances there. And I'm curious what Lamb's perspective is in this ecosystem is because I think like myself, he's a bit of a data nerd and the amount of data that we have access to right now is unprecedented, but we have to be setting ourselves up to actually use and take advantage of that data because we're capturing data just to capture data. Cool. But if we set up our systems and our processes and capture that data with intent, the outcome of that has a big ROI that I think a lot of organizations are starting to realize in the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, it's the foundation and for you know any subcontractor, Sounds like Matt's running his shop that way. It is the center of the universe because you're authoring the files there. And if they can become bigger and more robust with the amount of data you can put into them, which the applications let you do. I mean, you think of, you know, you're referencing BIM in its infancy and we talked about all that, but it's a reality today because the systems can run it. You can view it on the web, you can view it on mobile, all these different ways allow connectivity to the data. So if you build your environment out and you put the systems and tools in place, it is the center. So you need to tie everything back into that, either bi-directionally or at least one-directionally, getting the data out of the model into the other application so that you're providing real-time information. And we've definitely gone down that road and are, are being very successful with it. And it is the future. Yeah. And if this sounds overwhelming to anybody out there too, the the one thing I always like to remind everybody when we're considering moving forward in our digital journey or starting to make changes in our workflows like this is you don't have to boil the ocean when you start this whole process. Pick one area that you either are already really advanced in or you have very excited people who are interested in doing this and start making those changes there. If you just try to change your whole process and your whole org, people are going to freak out. Out, you're going to potentially put yourself at risk. So it's you start your pilot and you build on that. You show everybody, hey, this is red and this is why. And then you start getting some of those hesitant people to kind of dig in. And I've, I've got a couple of questions I'll, I'll spin to you guys at the tail end of this, I think, on that nuance as well. But it doesn't have to be everything all at once. It just needs to be a finding your focus so you can sidestep your decision paralysis and, and start making some improvements. But Lamb, I've got one more question for you. And you mentioned this earlier. And it comes back to accessing that data and having access in real time. So out on the project site specifically, or Cordova out in the shop, depending on how your connectivity goes, how challenging is it for people to get that real-time data right now and, and access that technology to get the things done out on site or out in the shop? It all depends about where you are. With mobile data, cellular data, We've come a long ways. I don't think 5G was quite the revolution that everyone thought it was going to be for construction. It's the full 5G service isn't there. And what I'm even seeing is it's very saturated. So it's hard to pull the big bandwidth speeds that I think we're all kind of waiting for. You get out to rural job sites and you're definitely nowhere near 5G. You're on 4G and you're struggling to keep a signal at, at best. Local data providers, the Comcast, Spectrums, Cox, whoever it is, you know, is local to you, they don't have service out to your site. So what do you do? And that's where we're really starting to investigate. Starlink is probably the best option that's come out. 
it still has its its limitations. It's in its infancy. Getting devices and hardware is still a little bit of a challenge. We've got our hands on both the consumer and commercial grade device and are doing testing. So far, so good. So it's the start. But how do we get better cellular coverage, I think, will be the key at the end of the day. Lighting up job sites with Wi-Fi would be the next iteration. We've done it on some big jobs. A lot of jobs don't necessarily have it in their budget. I think you have the security risk of who owns it, how are you sharing data, the networks, all those kind of things, which kind of make me step back a minute with how we're connecting to it. But it is the future going forward. And I think as the country evolves, we're going to have to be putting in more better cellular service. It sounds like Starlink may even have some competition in the future. So maybe we can have more offerings there. And then as you know, more satellites go up, we should have better, better speeds. And you make so many points. I mean, we can just look back to two weeks ago when I had to call both of you and say, hi, my internet's not working right now. So we can't do the thing that we're so excited about doing. And as we step outside of our urban areas, there's, there's a big, it, the equitable access to internet connections outside of cities is a tremendous issue. And I love your example of Starlink. I've been thinking about getting it for myself for I'm out camping. I go do a four day weekend, but I'm still fully powered up and, you know, broadcasting or whatever we're happened to be doing that particular day. But the mobile features they're starting to release where you can move it around now is great too, because originally it was just, you put your satellite at your address, if it leaves that spot, well, sorry, it doesn't work anymore. So I think we're getting there, but it's a really valid point as we consider adopting all these different tools is if we're expecting people to make data-driven decisions in a more real-time fashion, they have to have that access. Otherwise, that's a very unfair expectation to put on anybody. And also having a backup option if something goes down is incredibly critical as well. So it's it's a multi-layered problem to consider as we start becoming more digital contractors and organizations, you know, across the board. Cordova, is there any thoughts on your side as far as access and just making sure people can get the data, whether it's connection issues or otherwise? Yeah, so same boat, right? So let's say even if your job site has good Wi-Fi, there's a good chance that that Wi-Fi is not going to hit a parking garage or be out on the decks with you. You're going to be limited out there if you don't have cell coverage or anything like that. So some good tools, it's not live, but some good tools will queue up the data. So you can make decisions on your mobile device or whatever that may be. And when you get back to the job shack, when you reconnect, it will push those queues through and send that data out and also import the data back in. That's not a bad workflow. A lot of job sites, job shacks will have access to internet and things like that. So whatever you're using, it needs to be at least downloadable, whether they're your sheets, they're your models, they're whatever it may be, um, that's gonna be a fail safe because now you can get that data, take it out of the job site, do whatever you need to do. If it's good enough, queue up requests, and then when you get back and reconnect, all those connections go through. But yeah, you're dead in the water without internet for sure. It makes that's one of my requirements for software for the field is it has to have offline capability because so many of our job sites just don't have connectivity or they're just too far away from the shack or the trailer or whatever that they in order to be to work in things as simple as time cards you know you got to do the sync in the morning go out and process them and then go back and sync because if you were relying on real-time connection all day nothing would get done yeah that'd be tough 
Yeah. And it, I think it all comes back to, there's a preparation aspect of this too, when you're building out new job sites. And so making sure you've got a plan B in place for accessing that data and ensuring the expectations of what you're supposed to be doing with it are, are super clear. And then as you build on that, I think that's when we start thinking through, okay, like what other technologies can we deploy to, to make sure that that real-time connectivity is there? But you're right. I mean, all the cell providers right now scream and yell about their 5G connectivity, it's mostly city driven, to be frank. And as soon as you get to the rural areas, it'll be a boosted version of 5G or just no 5G at all. Or it's heavily throttled in a way that you might not anticipate as well. And so just making sure that you consider all of those aspects as you step out on site seems like a huge win, especially as you continue to digitize if you haven't been doing so already. Yeah, because that's also going to cause frustration. Part of the implementation of your digital workflow, if it's not working, Construction's an old school industry, beautiful for people looking to get into. There's a lot of stuff that we need to recruit for. But if it's not working seamlessly, you're instantly going to get that frustration. Just one little side story real quick. Like I said, our shop is all connected. It all needs to work. It all needs to work. It was the middle of winter and I'm going to a job site to do some on-site training and it's dark, it's raining. I'm having a hard time. I live in Washington. So we have a lot of back roads. It's dark and my phone starts blowing up. It's like 6 a.m. And first guy, internet's down. We're dead in the water. What are we supposed to do? <laughs> you know, and it's it's those type of conversations that it's like, well, of course it's while I'm out and I'm not here to deal with this right now. But yeah, like if in, in this case, it was just really bad weather, our internet supply went down, we're, we're paperless. So we were dead in the water. Things like that can cause frustrations. So to plan ahead, like you were just saying, for offline capability to prevent some of that frustration is, is super critical because you're just not going to adopt it, you know, if it's always frustrating. Yeah. And you make a fair point and it comes back to some of the training nuances and, and a whole bunch more. I mean, I can say just being very candid as we were setting up for this LinkedIn live, there was a couple things that weren't connecting properly. And there's this there's a stress because obviously there are a few hundred people watching us do this thing right now. In the moment that it didn't work, the reaction is to be like, okay, now I'm like angry, you know, but especially when you're in such a high stress, high stakes environment, and I'm not saying our LinkedIn live is that, but a construction project very much is to ensure that you are preventing those small things that will create more pushback on the tools you're implementing before they even happen is going to be a big win because you'll know those guys or gals or whoever's out on site doing the work who's going to be reactive if something isn't working well. And so being able to mitigate in the moment for that is, is important. And it actually leads to a question and I'm seeing some come in from the audience and Cordova, I think this question would be good for you to, to kick us off with as far as how are you training your shop teams to work in 3D models and, and with all of the, the advanced technology that you're empowering them with? Like, what, what was that process like to get them excited and enthusiastic and really delivering? It's a great question. Super passionate about this one. Because when we first started adopting, we came together as a group. This is the software that we're going to use, okay? Once we made the purchase of this software, sitting down with all of our labor leaders was critical. You have a bunch of different ways you can approach this, right? Top up or top down, bottom up. For me, it has to be a hybrid type deal because I'm not going to tell a field guy of 35 years, this is now how you're going to do your job. 
what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit down with them. And this is exactly what we did is we're sit down with their team and say, this is what the software can do. How can this work for you? How do you want this to work? And it's very simple. We started building these dashboards. What's a problem? Delivery dates. Why? Because we're creating files and putting them on a local server somewhere. And then somebody with an Excel sheet over here in the shop is tracking this. Nope. Now we're all pointed here. So listening to what these guys are saying from field and shop, and also implementing some of the workflows that they are requesting because these guys know what to do. You take technology out of it and there's a bunch of metal sitting there. They can put it together as fast as possible. Technology needs to help them. It needs to be added on to make that workflow that much better. So that's exactly what we did. So when you hear requests and things like that, and then you implement them inside your technology. Now those same people that were grumbling about it before are now invested into the same technology that you're trying to develop. And that's critical. That's key. So if you see them go, oh, wow, look, it does work the way you want it to, then you get a lot more buy-in from that. As far as the shop goes, same thing. Dates and out-of-date PDFs and things like that just sitting with the teams one-on-one, -on -one, hey, this is how you're gonna access this information. Guess what, you're gonna send this little bit of information directly to your equipment, and you're also gonna use the same bit of information on a, on a monitor. You can rotate it, look at all the assemblies, all the numbers, all the BOMs, everything it takes to build this package and prefab it and bundle it up. It definitely generated quite a bit of buzz, but every, person that we kick off a new project with, whether it's field or shop, we have a kickoff and we sit with them and I will sit and I will train each one of these people individually. Hey, this is what's expected. This is what we do. This is how it works. Any comments, any suggestions, anything like that, you got to listen as much as you got to, you got to command in a sense to lead is to serve the people you're trying to lead. And if they realize that, they'll have your back as much. So that was kind of the approach that we took and it's working right now. I love that too, because it's there, there's so many ways that we're starting to think about training now that even five or 10 years ago just weren't really the case. And there's a, a couple of recent episodes of Digital Builder, if you're interested in, in learning more about that, you should check out because it's not just the, here's an eight hour on-site training session where 40 people get crammed into a room and get talked at for eight hours. And then everybody goes home and you go, cool, you know how to use that software now, right? It's going to be great. Like that has its place and for different types of aspects, but creating resources where people can get answers to small questions or consume training in small snippets and spend time with people like yourself, Matt, to you know sit down and really understand that tool, I think has a huge ROI for your, your teams, but also the other flair in something I mentioned earlier is they feel like they have a voice in it too. And you made a point of, I'm here solving your problems. Tell me what your problems are so I can bring tools that will fix them is I think the right focus because as a manager, if you're doing your job well, 
you're eliminating all the barriers that your people have into doing the job effectively. And so bringing technology is obviously one tool that you can implement in the way you message that is going to be very influential on how well it's received instead of, you know, Oop, here's the thing, go do it now. And people go, I don't want to deal with that. Here's a new tool I need to learn. You know, you've invested in them and they're going to invest in you and vice versa. So I, I appreciate that. Lamb, any final thoughts on, you know, just training and bringing people up to speed? I think Cordova is pretty brilliant in his opine here as far as how to do this, but I'd love to hear your thoughts too. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a whole lot to add. I think he covered it. I think we do things a lot similarly. And I think the, the most important aspect of it to think about is the change management, human change management. So you have to figure out what works for you and your organization to get all the buy-in you need and get everyone empowered so that they're willing to adopt the new technology and then use it and see the value out of it. Yeah. And in the point about making sure that it's not a, a burden that you're adding into their workflow, like you really need to be in the thick of it deep enough to really see if you are adding a burden to your team. And if that's the case, it's worth stepping back and thinking through, okay, here's a new tool that I'm using. This actually added 20 minutes to the time that it takes them to do this. Will it always, once they get up to speed on it, or do I need to rethink our deployment in workflow as we you know, accommodate and incorporate these new tools? Because coming back to shiny new toy syndrome, construction for a long time was kind of, I don't know if punished is the right word, but we, we didn't have the tools made for us to do our jobs well. It was using stuff from different industries that made it good enough or being things that were a little bit more manual. And when we can step back and be decisive about those tools that we start picking and ensure we go, do they really truly integrate with each other? Is the platform I've picked going to actually work with all the different aspirational technology I'd like to add into my process? Those are the questions you need to be asking up front. And it's going to set your team up for success. And they'll see you doing it if you're doing it right. And they'll be appreciative of it. So there's there's a lot to be said is you bring everybody along for the ride instead of company dictator up top saying, here's your new technology. <laughs> Please go use it now. Have a nice day. There's a, a nuance to empowering that. And you're limiting the knowledge too. Like I said, that 30-year guy, 20, 15-year guy, they're trying to teach you as much as you're trying to teach them. So yeah, if you come at it like a dictator, they're going to resist it and you're going to lose out on that knowledge as well. You know, and one of the cooler things that I've heard from a, another person that I had on the show some months back was they've been very intentional about pairing some of those people who have that 25, 30, 35 years experience, but aren't necessarily tech savvy with people that are newer into the industry and really deeply under understand the technology. And the pairing of those two groups when you build those relationships is incredibly impactful for both because the younger person who's just coming in they need all that industry knowledge that they haven't gotten yet from being boots on the ground and out building. And the person who's trying to understand and build out and adopt these new tools needs somebody who understands it innately, who can communicate the nuance and how and help them out for small things without you know having to call both of you up on the phone and say, why is my iPad not doing the thing I need? So there's a relationship that you can build. And especially as those old pros start retiring in the next five to 10 years, we need that knowledge transfer. We need a bad. And so bringing all of those insights to the people we start attracting, I think is going to have a big impact for our teams as we continue scaling our technology deployment across our industry. So we've got time for one more question and I know we're actually over, but I don't care because I really want to ask this one anyway. What 
are you most excited about on the hardware or software side regarding technology innovation right now? So it could have been something we mentioned but didn't get into, or if there's something on the horizon you're seeing. I'm curious, like, what are you both really nerding out or really excited to see start kind of getting more deep in the, the realm of innovation in the coming years? I think it's probably on the software side, and I think it's more around connectivity and not job site connectivity, but the integrations between multiple apps and ecosystems, because it's not just the horizontal integration of your own company. It's the vertical integration of the industry. So how do we get subs talking with other subs? How do we get subs talking with GCs? How do we get the supply chain talking with ourselves? How do we get the owners in the loop? And there's lots of talk about it. You're seeing different applications out in the market that say they do it or you know, they sell their product in a slightly different flavor to you know, the whole vertical, but no one really has it. And there's too many pieces because there's just too many players in the market. So we're going to have to figure out some way to get some centralized hub and spoke model that we can all plug into and share data so that we can all be on the same page at the end of the day. Because right now, I think we're not seeing the level of collaboration on a lot of the jobs in a digital sense that we could be. We all have these great tools. We have powerful tools. We're doing great things ourselves. But how do we integrate that seamlessly across the, the vertical? Cordova, how about you? What has you excited right now? Or where are you looking at in the future? And you're just like, ooh, I can't wait you know, to get my hands on that. So it's been around a while. So if I was to just pick a geek one, I'm going to augmented reality. It's been a passion of mine. My first time four or five years ago, first time seeing it. Hey, this is cool, right? But I even like put it in our budget this year. Like maybe you get side eye, right? Like what is it for? How can it benefit you? Technology needs to make a difference. And I'm pretty passionate that augmented reality can definitely make a difference. Like a use case right out of the gate floor sleeps, right? They get kicked out on the deck. Something can shift. Architect's not going to shift his wall. If that gets poured into place, it's a $3,000 bill to scan and record that hole, right? So a very simple model and a super easy use case that let's say an apartment building, 80 sleeves on a, on a floor. That's a lot of, that's a lot of money there. If things get shifted around just to walk out and confirm model versus reality that these things are in place is really cool. Now take that up a notch too. This is all part of the things that you got to convince people like, hey, this can work. Now you're potentially you're replacing shop prints. If they can look up and see that this assembly needs to go there and line up, but they don't need to read prints. They don't need to do anything. They can just match what's going on with the advancements of these headsets that are OSHA approved, things like that. They have eight hour batteries and things like that. My goodness, you would talk super digital workflow. Now your 3D model is literally what you're looking at in reality and then you're doing your work off of it. So it seems pretty cool. That's what I would be geeking out about. I like it. And for anybody out there who's immediately skeptical of everything that Cordova is saying right now, if your last taste of VR and AR was a headset that you put on five or six or seven years ago, go check it out again because the hardware has changed so much in affordability and capability that it's worth another look just to see what's possible. I remember when I was at my last couple GCs, the only thing we used those headsets for was to model a couple rooms in a building or a building for our owner for our presentations at proposal time to go, this is what we're going to build for you. This is cool. And then it got put back on the shelf. And we are so much further along in the, in the capability there. But Matt, your point on 
it needs to offer value is huge too. So there's so much tech in this, but as you're picking up tech like this, I think you need to be thinking through everything you just walked through. It's like, where, where do I want to apply this in the real world? So I have a product at the end of the day that my teams think is neat, but also is driving value for the business and the owner and everybody else on the project. So that is it for our time today. I've got a couple of things that I want to plug, but if you uh, want to continue this discussion, first, you should check out the Autodesk community called The Big Room. I've started a thread over there that is going to be an extension of this conversation. So if you want to go and share all of your excited, enthusiastic things about trends or share some feedback about this discussion, your comments would be very much appreciated. You can find that at bigroom.autodesk.com. Also, if you are a current listener or brand new listener, if you could take a moment to pop into your favorite podcast player, either Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever, and take a moment to rate the show. Five stars is what I'd appreciate it, but you know, I'm a little biased since I am the host of the show, but it does have a big impact for us. Also, finally, we are a video podcast, so we're on camera right now. We go fly out to different locations and record episodes. So if you head over to the Autodesk Construction Cloud YouTube channel, there are a lot of recent video episodes, and there very much worth checking out. It's a really cool experience. And if you'd like to connect with me or you know see some regular updates from Digital Builder specifically, you can follow me on LinkedIn. You should be able to find me through this event. Or alternatively, you can check me out over on Twitter at builder underscore digital. And on that final note, thank you everybody for joining. If you got any final questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. And in the meantime, have a wonderful rest of your day. On that final note, goodbye. <laughs>